Last month, Australia said it would tighten visa rules for international students and low-skilled workers that uh, could have its migrant intake over the next two years as the government looks to overhaul what it said was a broken migration system. Now, under the new policies, international students would need to secure higher ratings on English tests and there would be more scrutiny on a student's second visa application that would uh, prolong their stay. Now, Australia's Home Affairs Minister, Claire O'Neill, said the strategy was to bring migration numbers back to normal. Now, the decision comes after net immigration was expected to have peaked to a record 510,000 immigrants in 2022-2023. Now, official data showed it was forecast to fall to about a quarter of a million by 2024-2025 and 25-2026, roughly in line with pre-COVID levels. So 510,000 and with a new announcement down to 250,000. Uh, Ms. O'Neill said the increase in net overseas migration in 2022-2023 was mostly driven by international students. Take a listen. We are going to make sure that we bring numbers back under control, that we build a better planned system around essential things like housing, and perhaps most importantly of all, that we build a program that delivers for the national interest. Now, also in December, the United Kingdom launched a five-point plan in an attempt to slash its net migration by 300,000 from 672,000 in 2024. Uh, Like Canada, both countries are facing public pressure over housing shortages and soaring cost of living. Uh, All three countries rely on immigration. They're struggling with the the growth of immigration, but also they have a labour and skill shortage uh, in a volatile global economy. Uh, But it's interesting when you look at the policy responses from a Conservative government in London, and a Labour government in Canberra. Uh, And then you look at Ottawa, and Ottawa, well, in many cases, is sticking with its plan. In Canada, despite a growing pushback on high levels of immigration, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has stayed the course to welcome 485,000 permanent residents this year and half a million in 2025. Well, joining me now to talk a little bit about the UK and Australia's U-turn, and Canada, I guess, continuing in the same direction, is Barge Dehan, co-founder and director of the Canada India Education Society. Barge, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me here. Um, first of all, your thoughts and reaction to what Australia and the UK uh, have announced uh, over basically December in regards to what they're going to do. Very different approaches in those countries compared to Canada. So they're basically saying that they're going to cut in half, 50% cut to the number of migrants coming into those two countries. Mm-hmm. Now, the way they're tracking their numbers, they're talking about number of migrants. That includes international students as well. In Canada, we're not talking that way. We're saying there's 485,000 immigrants. We're not really clear how many international students will come in. We're not clear how many refugees we're going to take in. So if we're using same language as those two countries are, we're probably looking at one and a half million migrants coming into the country in the next year. Hmm. Now, uh, the UK always has had housing challenges exacerbated, of course, the last few years. Uh, Australia is the same. And here in Canada, of course, we're having that same conversation. In many ways, I had a friend uh, uh, in uh, Australia over the ho- Christmas holidays, and you know they were read, literally, literally reading the headlines of the Sydney, more, uh, Sydney Herald, and they could have been in the Globe and Mail or the Vancouver Sun. Why do you think we're sticking with what we're doing and we're sticking with this plan here in Canada, while our uh, allies, let's call it what they are, they're all our our allies, with a conservative government in London, a Labour government in Canberra going, no, this is a mistake at this point, 
let's reset. Yet here in Ottawa, we're going, wait a minute here, we're going to essentially do the same thing. Why do you think that is? I think in Canada, what the government is trying to do is they're banking on this so-called 22 to $32 billion that these international students are bringing in. They don't want to let go of that. What the net benefit to the GDP is, that's debatable. Our productivity is not going up. Our efficiency is not growing up, like going up. So I think it's a little bit still this focus that these students are bringing in $30 billion into our economy, and we're going to take it. Mm-hmm. Now, I understand the argument that we need skilled labor in this country, perhaps focus on more economic immigrants. But I also believe that if you're a hardworking immigrant, you got two hands and you got desire, um, you can make something of yourself in this country. I think that's what this country's actually been built on, whether it's the first wave of European immigrants, Asian immigrants, African immigrants, Middle Eastern immigrants. It doesn't matter that if there's a desire to do well, you will do well and you will work hard. Um, so I think there should be room for those types of immigrants. I think that's what Canada was built on. Um But when you look at what we're seeing now, what do you say to that argument that, wait a minute, these students that we have here, if they work hard, they will be a net benefit for Canada over the long term. You don't buy that? Or do you think it's just a question of we're just too reliant on that type of migrant? Well, what we're really looking at is all the international students that we've had in the country going back last 10 years, less than 30% actually end up becoming permanent residents. There is not a clear pathway for vast majority of international students to become permanent residents. Therefore, they're here for a period of time. They contribute to uh, uh, tuition fees, to the economy, and then some end up into fraudulent activities to obtain permanent residency. So there's a lot of abuse in the system. Mm-hmm. The underground economy has really grown in the last five years. So Canada's international education policy needs a total reset. We need to revisit it. The way it is happening right now, it's not really working other than the fact that we're getting $32 billion into our economy. Is that what it is? Do you think it's this, I mean, I don't even think it's a public institution. I mean, some colleges, but certainly I don't think it's the universities and to any grand extent from the numbers I think you and I both looked at. But when you go to the private colleges, certainly the numbers are significant. But let's let's just move that even forward. If somebody moves here, in some cases, they're probably buying cars, used cars, you need housing. It seems like the entire system, everybody is making money on this. In fact, throughout Metro Vancouver, in Ontario as well, where vast majority of the immigrants come in and international students come in, you have used car dealerships, offering loans to international students to purchase cars at house rates, 24%, 26% interest rates. So the car dealers are benefiting, so everybody else benefits. So, so there's a lot of money being made. The other group that's making tons of money are so-called immigration consultants, recruiters for our institutions here in other countries or even here. So there's lots of money being made. And I really think that the federal government and our provincial governments need to take a hard look at our international education system. 
The immigration minister, the federal immigration minister was on this show and he said, look, we're going to crack down on private colleges that take advantage of some of these students. We're going to make sure that if uh, these colleges are inviting these international students, there would be uh, housing set aside or housing or at least student housing available rather than competing continuously with um, uh, in the housing market itself. Do you buy any of that? Well, the minister did announce, in fact, he used the the term uh, puppy mills yeah. for a lot of these colleges and so on. But there was nothing substantive in that announcement what the federal government or the provincial government are going to do. So they need to step up and say, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to clean up this system. Mm-hmm. And uh, even when we talk about our public institutions, they're definitely more accountable but you look at the Langara Colleges of the World, Kwantlen Polytechnic University, they're relying quite heavily on international student fees. They're really vulnerable. So that's another reason why Canadian government does not want to reduce the number of study permits being issued, because some of our community colleges, especially in Ontario and in British Columbia, would be at risk. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.